Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we're spending a second consecutive week at Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 27. Shortly before going to the cross, Jesus is delivering what has become known as his Olivet Discourse. In these verses, Jesus ties future events spoken about by prophecies in the Old Testament to his future second coming. Now, the disciples didn't figure out how all of this fit together until after Jesus was resurrected and the Holy Spirit came upon them to remind them about all that Jesus had said. They were expecting him to take his rightful place as king and to do it soon, because the Old Testament clearly taught that's what the Messiah would do. But now that Jesus was here, he was telling them he would be delivered up and crucified and die. Well, those things didn't fit together in their minds. And now Jesus is adding to the confusion by talking about all the things that still had to come to pass leading up to his taking his rightful place on the throne as king. Well, praise God, they did put it all together eventually and wrote it down for our edification. See how it all fits together this week. And here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, The Second Coming, Part 2. There are all these armies gathered for this great battle, and they're going to be gathered in the 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 valley of Megiddo, hence uh, Har Megiddo, the land of Megiddo, hence Armageddon, hence the battle of Armageddon. All these armies are going to be arrayed. They're about to put an end to this Jesus nonsense, they think. And understand, God will turn off all the lights. That's going to be a bit disconcerting. Going to shut off the sun. Will he... Will he turn off the sun and then reignite it later? Uh, doesn't say. Just put his hand over it, make it impossible to see. The moon's going to go out because it only reflects the, the sun. There's no light in the moon uh, itself. And it's going to be terrifying. How terrifying? Remember again, I, I showed you from Luke's uh, record of this. In Luke 21, 25, and 26, he says there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. He's going to let the stars be shaken from their location, probably a huge meteor shower on earth in the midst of that frightening darkness. And upon the earth, here's a great description, dismay among nations. I'm not exactly sure what international dismay is, but it's not good. They're going to be saying a collective, uh-oh, or what's this? They're going to be terrified. In perplexity, there will be in dismay among the nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear. That literally means stopping breathing. Some are going to die of fright when this happens. They're going to be um, fainting from fear and the expectations of expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Believe me, when that moment comes for Jesus Christ to step into human events physically once again, there will be no doubt that God is taking over. According to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, we are those who love His appearing. If you don't love His appearing, you're going to be scared as never before. Imagine you're ready for battle and all the lights go out. You're in total darkness and nothing you can do about it. And then, at that moment, verse 26, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Uh, It's translated then here in the New American Standard updated version. It's literally and then. It's specifically connected at that time, at that moment, after that tribulation of those days, just exactly at the time that God has designed it, all the lights go out. God has everyone's attention, and then they see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. That is the phenomenon among all the phenomena of the end times. This is the instant when Jesus himself appears once again. Now, I should point out that Matthew records that Jesus used the same terms that his disciples used. Mark twenty four thirty, he says, they will see the sign of the Son of Man. Um, they had said, what, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The son, sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Now, there's, there's been speculation over the centuries about the meaning of the phrase, the sign of the Son of Man. There's a popular interpretation. It goes way back to some early church fathers, including uh, Chrysostom, Cyril of Jerusalem, and Origen. So back to just a century or two after Christ. They said, the sign of the Son of Man will be an enormous blazing cross that will appear to the entire world. Now remember, all the lights are off. It would get your attention. This, this in total darkness, a blazing cross in the skies. Others through the th- century have theorized that, no, it's not going to be a cross. It's going to be the brilliant, sudden display piercing the darkness by the Shekinah glory of God, like it was manifested with God's presence in the temple. Only this time it's going to be all around the earth. Well, either one of those would be pretty dramatic. Either one of them fits the spirit of the passage. It's just that they aren't what the passage says. So there's a little problem with that. It's better to take the uh, Son of Man as what we call in Greek a subjective genitive, meaning the sign of the Son of Man is the sign which is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the sign. They asked Jesus, what's going to be the sign of your coming? And he said, me. You'll see it. You'll get it. It won't be very much in doubt. And there's several reasons why we know that has to be what it says. Because here in Mark 13, 26, it says, they will see 
the Son of Man. And that's exactly the same thing that it says in, uh, in Luke. And when he says in Matthew 24, 30, you'll see the sign of the Son of Man later in that same passage. It says they'll see the, the Son of Man. Something else we know about it, that allusion in Matthew 24, 30 to uh, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. We haven't looked at that carefully, but that comes from Zechariah 12, verses 10 and 11, which specifies that the people at the moment that Jesus appears will in many cases turn to him in faith. That's the moment at which Romans eleven twenty five through 27 is fulfilled. That's the moment when every single Jew still alive that has not died under the hand of God with the manifestations of His wrath in those series of uh, judgments that He pours out and those that haven't been murdered by the Antichrist, they will look on, according to Zechariah, me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him, the Son of Man, as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. So in the prophecy, it says they're going to see the one whom they crucified. Well, who crucified him? Well, the Jews. They, they put the Romans up to it. The point, the point is... All Jews alive at that time and many Gentiles alive at that time are going to turn to Christ at the very last minute. You uh, who studied the book of Revelation with us on Wednesday nights, well done, good and faithful servants. You fought the fight. You finished the race. The race you ran the course. Um, you remember how many times through the book of Revelation we saw the very sad phenomenon that as God pours out His wrath upon unbelievers, and they even know that it's the wrath of God, and they even know that it is connected to Jesus Christ, whom they've spurned, instead of repenting, they get mad. That's the most common reaction. That's typical of fallen human nature. When you get caught... Doing something wrong, what's your first instinct? Get mad at whoever busted you, right? Uh, that, that's how we do it. You know, oh, well, I ate the fruit, but that woman gave it to me. That woman that you gave to me, she gave that to me. We've been at this since Genesis chapter 3, all right? That's a typical reaction. But right at the second coming, there's also the reaction of turning to him, Grief over having rejected him. Maybe you've been asked, is it possible to wait and come to Christ at the very end? Well, yeah. There's that thief on the cross. I had a situation in my life not terribly long ago in the last, uh, the last couple of years. I knew a guy who... Um, had been married, I think it was 52 years when, that he'd been married when he, when he died. Um, he and his wife uh, got married as youngsters, and about four or five years into the marriage, the wife became a Christian. And she happily and exuberantly shared Christ with her husband, who said something like, hmm. And she kept happily and exuberantly sharing Christ with him, and he kept saying, hmm. 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.